Thank you, worship team, and thank all of you for joining us for worship. Thanks, everyone, joining us online, whatever platform you're using, or maybe you're catching up later in the week. So grateful that you are joining us as well. In week four of our series called The Thread, we are looking at the thread of Jesus through the whole story of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation. What is God's redemptive plan and his love and mercy for you and me? If you're just catching up, we started this series at the beginning of the year, kind of laid a foundation, and we talked about how do you see Jesus through all of God's story. We talked about what is God's story, and we've laid out 13 periods of biblical uh, narrative for us to walk through, and then we talked about God's creation, and we talked about how God created in love and for glory. And how all things are pointing to that. Last week we talked about God's covenant love and how God has initiated a promise. A promise to pour out his love and commitment to us. A commitment that God is making happen. That that we don't make that happen or not happen. But when we come to God in faith, he is moving toward us and his commitment. Today we're talking about what do we do when life comes off the rails? What do we do when life is just not what we would want it to be, what we feel like it's supposed to be when we're in the middle of difficulty and struggle and pain? For the Israelites, they found themselves in a time of slavery. What do we do when we're in that place? So let's uh, start off. But before we get into that, I I want you to kind of know my heart of, as I've wrestled with this over the last couple of weeks, what's the main truth that I want us to walk away with today. And if you don't get anything else, this is what I I hope that the Lord would speak to you. That there is a God who knows your name and he knows what you're walking through and he is working to rescue you from all things that hold you captive and that hold you, prevent you from having the abundant life that God has for you. I, I I pray that that will just wash over you. There's a God who knows your name He knows what you're walking through, and he's working to rescue you from anything that prevents you from having abundant life. That's the truth we're going to see today. So let's jump in. Exodus chapter 1. What can we learn from this period of time where the Israelites are in slavery? So we're going to start in verse 6, if you're following along in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 12. Now Joseph... And all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. So a new king rises up. He does not know the story of God's people, does not know what they've done. And so he 
threatened by who they are, enslaves them. But it says the more that they oppressed them, the more they grew. And so threatened by this uh, people that are in his land, Pharaoh makes a decree and he sends it out to all the land. And he says, all of the male children that are born to the Hebrew people, the Israelites, are to be killed. But there's these women, these midwives who are there to help the, the women of Israel uh, have birth to their children and they fear God and they know God and they trust God and so they come up with a plan and they they rebel against Pharaoh's decree and they they let the children live and they tell Pharaoh these women are too strong for us we can't get there in time to help to to deal with their children and there's nothing we can do and because they had faith in God God blessed them so Pharaoh's anger grows and, and he demands that the, the male children of the Israelites be killed. And so along this time, there's a child born to a Hebrew woman. His name is Moses. Uh, most of us uh, believe that that name Moses uh, comes from the word that means to be drawn out. Uh, Moses' mother knew that uh, he would be killed, but she knew there was something special about this child. Uh, I have to laugh at that because what mother doesn't believe that there's something special about their child? But she believes that there's something special about this child, and so she puts him in a basket and places him in the Nile River. Along comes the princess, and she finds this baby. She basically adopts this child, brings him into her home, and he's raised with uh, Pharaoh's family. Uh, He grows into a adulthood and like you would imagine begins to look around and realize uh, something does not match the rest and he realizes maybe you know I, I don't belong here or something's not right and he's wrestling with his identity and who he is and he comes along one day a, a slave driver is beating a Hebrew and he intervenes and he murders this slave driver and he realizes later that everybody saw this. So he, he, he's running for his life, running from Pharaoh. And he runs out and he lives 40 years uh, in the wilderness. And then we catch up with the story at that point in Genesis cha- uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. And we packed a lot of action, a quick summary there. And then we pick up chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, 
Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here the people find themselves enslaved. They had experienced the promises of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God. And now life was just not as they would have it, not as it should be. They were struggling. Uh, They did not have a sense of hope. They didn't know what tomorrow would bring. And they were just in a lot of suffering and pain. And I want to start and just ask the question, why were they in the place that they were? And it really boils down to one thing, is that they had a ruler who did not know their name. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, the Hebrew literally reads, a new king rose up who did not know Joseph. And here's the truth for every single one of us, wherever we're at in life, is that favor of the world is unreliable. Favor of the world is is unreliable. Sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's a group of people, an organization, maybe even the culture we live in, but favor of the world is unreliable. Think about Pharaoh rose up and he did not know what Joseph had done to help Egypt. I mean, my goodness, God had worked through this man named Joseph to lead Egypt through seven years, if you're reading along, seven years of drought, of starving, of destitution. People did not know where to turn. And Joseph had a plan by the wisdom of God to save all the Israelites, but also all the Egyptians. But Pharaoh forgot. And this Pharaoh didn't know about promises that had been made. And this Pharaoh did not care about the needs of the people. And every single one of us are going to come to face to face with rulers, with people, with organizations, with even culture itself in ways that, you know what, they don't know your heart. They don't know what you've done. They don't know the intentions and things that you've worked for. They don't know the promises that have been made or the hopes that you're holding on to, and they do not bear the responsibility to meet your needs. And it doesn't make them bad necessarily. It just makes them unreliable. And the truth is, is that from time to time, truth be told, you and I are unreliable as well. And if we took a, a truth poll here this morning, everybody here, everybody watching online would have to raise your hand if I said, who in here has ever been unreliable to somebody in your life? As a matter of fact, I think most of us would admit that it's probably the people that we are closest to in life that we might be the most unreliable to. We hurt ourselves, we hurt others. And this is why it is so important for us to seek and trust and let God work in and through our lives because there is a God who knows your name and he knows your story and he is reliable and he's good and he's faithful in every season of life. One of those seasons we can trust God. God is faithful in good times. He's faithful in times where everything is as we would have it to be. I mean, look at what happens in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, or verse 8. 
sorry, verse 7. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers. And they became so numerous that the land was filled with them. I mean, these were good times. They had all the flocks that they wanted, all the food that they wanted. They had all the clothes that they wanted. They were, they were uh, blessed in their relationships. Their families were growing. This was a good season of life for them. Now, why was it a good season of life for them? Because God had been at work. If we back up in the story, it's a beautiful, incredible story. I encourage you, if you haven't read it, go back and read Genesis 37 through 50, the story of a man named Joseph. A story of a man who had big dreams for his life, had a big expectations of what his life would look like. And he just goes through one struggle after another. He's enslaved. He's wrongly accused, ends up in prison. I mean, just one thing after another is happening to Joseph. But we see three things very important happen in the life of Joseph that set up the people of Israel for these good times. The first thing is that God prepared Joseph through every story that Joseph walked through, every part of his life, God was preparing him to be blessed, but even more important, to be a blessing to the people around him. The second thing that God was doing is that God positioned him. God positioned Joseph to be exactly where he needed to be to have maximum influence for the love and the goodness of God. And then God provided for his success. And he continued to provide for the success of the people of Israel. In other words, the good times that the people were experiencing were a direct cause of God's activity in their life. When you think about it, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God gave a blessing and a command to the first humans. Do you remember what that was? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he said, and rule over the earth. There's four verbs attributed to the people of Israel in verse seven. I want you to see what happens. All right, what, in the Hebrew, here they are. Four things. The people were fruitful. The people increased abundantly. The people multiplied and they grew exceedingly. It sounds to me like they were fulfilling the blessing and the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth. They were fruitful. They were bearing good fruit. They were creating good things. They increased abundantly. They were sharing a full life. They multiplied. They were growing in number and influence and they grew exceedingly. That means they extended by power and strength. This is the very reason Pharaoh was threatened. They were responding. Now what's going on here? It's the very same thing that happens in your life and my life is that God had a blessing to give, a love to give, a goodness to give, and he enabled the people to receive and respond to the love and the goodness of God. God wanted them to receive his love. God wanted them to respond to their love. And he said, so I will make a way for you. I will enable you. I will set you up that you can both receive and respond to my love for you. And that's what happens in our life. You see, the greatest temptation for us in the good times of life is that we forget about God. We, we like to take credit for the good things that happen. Like look at me and look at my life and look at this season that I'm in and look at how good things are happening and look at the good decisions I've made and look at these wonderful relationships and look at all the great things that I'm making happen and my good job and my good family, my whatever. 
and we forget that it was God who enabled me to respond and receive his love in the first place. It's so easy for us to lose sight. And I, I just beg us all brothers and sisters, just the deepest encouragement I can give that we would focus our gaze on Jesus, even in the good times when we don't feel like we need him to realize we absolutely need him for every breath. And he's the source of all good things because here's the reality is that only God is God and only God is worthy of praise. And I don't know about you, but I can speak for me that every single time I've tried to swap places with God, I have fallen and fallen hard. And I need for my own good sake to keep God on the throne of all things. And so in those good times, I will give thanks and I will praise and I will celebrate not what I've done, but what God has done to enable me to be in that position because I also know that there's gonna be a season to come where I'm gonna be all the more aware of my need for him. Because we're, every single one of us, we're either walking into a hard time or in a hard time or coming out of a hard time. And we're gonna need God. But here's the good news, is that God is faithful in the hard times. It's not just the good times that we can celebrate God, but God is faithful even in the hard times. In Exodus 1 verse 12, it said that even the, the more that the Pharaoh oppressed and persecuted and enslaved the people, the more they multiplied and the greater influence they had. Our chapter 2 verse 24, it says that the people, they cried out. And what did God do? God heard their cries and he remembered their promise that he had given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That God is inviting us to call out to him in the hard times because it's in the hard times that we see God do what only God can do and God redeem in the way that only God can redeem and God restores in the way that only God can restore and he's faithful when life is hard. When I've got more questions than answers, when I've got more doubt than faith, when I've got more pain than joy, when I've got more struggling than faithfulness in my life, God is faithful and true and good. And he can be trusted. And he's inviting us to just reach out and call out to him and lift our voices. And so I want to encourage us, if you're in a hard season, you, I know some of us in our church today are in the hardest season of your life. You never thought you'd be in the place that you are. Cry out to him. Call out to him. Pray. Not as a last resort because you've fallen on your face and you've got nothing, but, but prayer was our only hope all along for God to move. And so we pray specifically. Pray exactly the, the needs, the circumstances of your heart, of your life. What is exactly we need God to do? He already knows anyway, so why not just tell him? I'm so guilty in my own life, and we've talked about this before, where we lift up these vague, general prayers to God, and I'm not sure if God answers that or not. It's so general. But what would happen if I prayed in faith that, God, this is exactly what I need you to do. This is exactly the circumstances I need you to orchestrate. These are exactly the same, the things that I need you to provide right now. We pray specifically and we pray expectantly, praying with faith, 
knowing that God is faithful and he hears and he answers. And whether God says yes or God says no or God says wait, I know that God is at work for my good and for his glory. And he's a faithful God. You see, the temptation for us in the hard times is to give up on God. That in that moment, all we see is the pain or the struggle or the difficulty or the questions. And it's right here in our face. And that's all our eyes can see. And we forget, we lose sight and we forget the power and the goodness and the glory of God and we give up on him. And we either try to take things in our own hands and we mess things up even worse or we just give up in desperation and we decide that we're gonna live in that brokenness for the rest of our lives. Please don't give up on God. I wonder how many of us have stopped one step short of deliverance. How many of us have given up one moment too early? One moment too soon to see the way that God has been orchestrating a miracle in our lives. Don't give up on God. Why? Because ultimately, here's our final, final point. God can bring freedom. God can bring freedom. He's moving and working to set us free from the things that hold us captive. Listen to what he says in verses seven through nine, chapter three, verses seven through nine. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. And here it is. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, a home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. God does not leave us trapped, enslaved, or held. God rescues Here's the good news. Here's the thread of Jesus through this story is that thousands of years before Jesus ever walked this earth, God was establishing himself as a God who saves. He is not distant. He is not silent. He is not ignorant of what you are walking through. He is a God who saves. And he was already establishing a people through whom the good news of Jesus would come. That's who God is. Starting in chapter two, verse 24, God says, I remember. He remembered his promises. And then three words show up in Exodus chapter three, three verbs attributed to God. He sees, he sees your circumstances, your pain, what you're walking through, the decisions, the choices. He sees it, he's not distant. He hears, he hears your voice. He hears your heart. He knows what you're walking through. He is with you and he knows. The word there is in the Hebrew is yada, and it is an intimate knowing. It is a wrapped up with you kind of knowing, a way that I can only know about you if I'm doing life intimately with you. And God doesn't sweep in and save the day when we call out for him because God was already there in the first place. 
There's no sweeping in to be done. He's there when you see him, when you don't see him, when you know what he's doing and when you don't. God is there and working and faithful. He's trustworthy. He knows what we're walking through. And he's working these things out for our good and for his glory, setting us free from our own sin, setting us free from the brokenness of the world, setting us free from fear and death. You see, the greatest temptation for us when we're trapped is to settle for less than God wants for me and you. Please do not settle for anything less than the abundant life, the goodness, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness, the hope of Jesus given to us by our loving Father. Do not fall into that temptation of settling for less. God's miraculous work, he continues to work through the people of Israel. And we're gonna pick up next week. But what we see here is that God shows his love, that he will never stop loving. He shows his power. There's nothing God can't do. And he shows his plan, that God has a plan for the people of Israel that he would bring the Messiah. For you and me, that we would be joined with our creator, one with God in connection with him, that we'd have eternity with him, worshiping him. When we get to the end of this narrative that we're gonna walk through on Easter Sunday, we're gonna celebrate that Jesus is coming again to bring a new heaven and a new earth, that God will make all things right and good and true. That's what God offers. Do not settle for less than that. And already here in Exodus chapter three, God is cementing it. There's a phrase here I don't want you to miss where God says, I will come down to rescue that I might bring them up to bring them to a promised land. That is the gospel that God said, I love the world so much that I came down I did life in the person of Jesus that I could bring up out of sin and death. That's the gospel. Exodus chapter three, verse eight, you never knew it. The gospel story that God would come down to bring up. Jesus said it in the gospel of John. Do you not know that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He's gonna bring us up out of all of this brokenness and heartache. And we can hold fast to that. I know that there are lots of people, lots of groups, organizations, systems, the culture we live in that traps us, that prevents us from having freedom in Christ. I also know that there are lots of people and groups, organizations, systems in the culture we live in that makes all kinds of promises to set us free. And I know we don't ever intentionally lock ourselves to those promises, but reality is, is we often find ourselves putting our hope in a person, putting our hope in an organization, putting our hope in a system, putting our hope in a culture, and I just wanna challenge you to ask yourself the question, what is their track record? What is their track record? Because what I've come to learn in life is that there's only one who knows my name. There's only one who knows my story. 
There's only one who knows my heart. And most importantly, there's only one. And he's not a a president of the United States or a CEO or the leader of a nonprofit. He's definitely not the pastor of Getwell Church. There's only one who has the power to come down so that he could bring up. His name is Jesus. What's the track record of those that you put your hope in? And I know this is a scary step. Faith, sometimes we talk as as if faith and fear are opposites. You know, I believe that fear is intimately tied up with faith. That faith by definition requires us to step through fear. And I know that fear can be one of the things that holds us captive from experiencing what God desires to do in our lives. It may be to set us free from an addiction or habit or restore a relationship. It might be to to offer you forgiveness. It might be eternal life. It might be that you know all about Jesus, but you've never, because of fear, submitted your life to him. Do not let fear be the final thing that holds you captive to keep you from God. And so I wanna encourage us to take a step of faith. You might be here today and you need to celebrate and focus on the goodness of God and how he's prepared you and positioned you and provided for you. Maybe you're in a very difficult time and you need to know that God sees and God hears and God knows and God remembers you. Or maybe we're just trapped and need to be set free. But wherever you are, that's a step that requires an act of trust. God, I trust you, I believe you, here's my life. So as we stand, we're gonna sing one more song. Y'all go ahead and stand. My invitation is that you would step through the fear wherever you're at and step to God. He's waiting, he's never left you, he's working. He's faithful and good, he's faithful in the hard, he's faithful to set free. Would you trust him today? Our altar rails are open. If you'd like to come and pray, you can pray where you are. Guys at home, encourage you to pray together as well. But let me pray for us now and then we'll sing one more time. God, we love you. We praise you. We celebrate you. You are the God who is faithful. You are the only God with the track record that never fails. You are the only God who has the power and the love to come down and bring up, to set us free. God, and we trust you. Open our eyes, Lord, to where we put our hope in places that could never bear the weight of that responsibility. And to turn our eyes to where they need to be. Back to you. For your glory. God, but we know it's also for our good. So come Holy Spirit, speak, move, set us free right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.